0: Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 7, like uh, last last week, and again, we're not complaining about this at all, but uh, a little bit of a different morning, and uh, we're not going to probably get through all this again this morning, but it's okay, I'll take six baptisms a week, any day, and we'll just adjust our sermons, right, and that's fine, so we'll just do that, and uh, and the good thing is, again, like last week, this, this narrative part of Acts just kind of flows, so we don't get to today, we'll just emphasize and pick up. Flowing into into the ongoing narrative, uh, to the, the, the persecution and the mission to the Gentiles and Philip, and uh, and on to Paul. It all flows together. So we'll get through what we can today, and uh, and see what God does here this morning through His Spirit. I'm going to start in Acts chapter seven. And as you recall last week, at least at least this week, we don't have to fit 53 verses into this amount of time, right? Um, but as you recall last week, we we're in Stephen's uh, speech, and where he walked through Israel's history kind of cataloging their hardness of heart. And he gets to the pinnacle of his speech there where he he just lays it on the line. You stiff-necked people, you're stubborn. You've always rejected the prophets. You've blocked your ears. You've, you've disobeyed God's laws. And, uh, right, and we're not shocked that that didn't go over real well. So that's where we're going to pick up here this morning in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they heard these things And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. God, we just pray this morning that you take your word, press it on our hearts. God, may we today just emphasize and highlight the things that you desire for us to highlight, the things that you want us to hear. Bring those things to the forefront. Cause us to have open ears, open hearts. Thank you for our heritage. Thank you that we can look back at the book of Acts and, and see our history as the people of God, as the church. May we learn from them. May we learn from their uh, courage and their boldness and be inspired by it. May we learn from their mistakes. Through it all, God, may we see and be reminded that we're people called out, belonging to Jesus Christ. He is the one we serve. He is why we exist. His glory. So we pray that your spirit would work through your word in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ever seen an angry mob? Uh, Jeff Anderson has, we <laughs> talking about that, um, some of his military services took him, taking him to places where he was out to, facing the teeth of that. Uh, really the closest I've ever got to something like that is years ago, Jeff and I were at Moody Pastors Conference, and uh, I was out walking one night, and I don't even know what I was doing, why I was out, it was after dark in Chicago, I, you know, probably shouldn't have been, but... Um, I was walking around, and I was about three blocks east or so of campus. I was walking back, and there's this uh, McDonald's there on Chicago Avenue, just about three, blo- three or four blocks east of campus. And there always seems to be some adventure going on there anyway. And, uh, well, as these things often do, I, I, things just happen kind of fast. I was walking, and all of a sudden, I'm aware of the fact that there are angry people starting to rush out of this McDonald's and from behind it, and then from back on my left, coming this direction. And they were screaming, and, and I'm like in the middle of it. And I'm just like, just, just keep walking, man. <laughs> just, just, and I just, But I'm, I'm aware, and, and they weren't interested in me at all, which so I was thankful for. Um, but I was really taken back. It was, it was sad, and it was really um, just unnerving to see what, was, what, what unfolded next. And it was a particular guy who seemed to be the target. I'm guessing it was probably some kind of gang-related thing. I don't know. But, um, but to see them just kind of crash upon this guy throw him there right in the middle of Chicago Avenue and just start beating him and punching and kicking. And then you saw kind of some of the residual altercations around that. And uh, I I thought of that when I was reading this, about this mob. Just the the, the hatred, the desire to inflict pain on somebody. Um, Man, I've never forgotten that. And, And as I was reading this, I was thinking... That same type of rage, and probably even more intense, was directed at our brother, Stephen, so many years ago, simply because he spoke out for Jesus Christ. And it engendered that same type of hatred in response from the people in Jerusalem that day. And it is forced to ask the question, like I hope you're asking as you read this, like wow, what what would I have done? How would I have responded to that? What can I learn from this narrative? Right? Stephen concludes this message. (laughs) And they're not convinced, they're not persuaded. Right? He didn't finish his message and like sing five verses of Just As I Am and have an altar call, and these people didn't come forward and receive Jesus as their Savior. No, they rioted. They hated him. Murderous intent. Rage. That word rage. It's, it's the same language. If, you, if we had time to flip over Revelation 12, the red dragon of Revelation 12, you remember the story? There's war in heaven, and Michael, the archangel, grabs the dragon, and he tosses him out of heaven, which I love that image. You've heard me talk about before. I love that. Jesus doesn't even have to handle the dude, right? It's like, Michael, can you... You know? and, and there goes the dragon, and you, you pay attention to the terminology. So When the dragon saw that he had been cast down, it was like he didn't even know it hit him. Now he's laying on the beach, and he looks around, but the terminology there, he's enraged. And what does it say he does? He gets up, enraged, and he goes to make war against the people of God. It's the same terminology. This, this is it, right here. This is the wrath of the dragon against the people of God. This is how our enemy feels about us. But like Stephen, we don't face that enemy with fear. They can rage all they want, right? We could say with Martin Luther, right? His rage I can endure. Mighty fortress is my God. So Stephen found this day in Jerusalem. But this is a reminder, right? Anger. They gnashed their teeth at Stephen. you ever really angry? Seen someone like the gnashing of teeth, the gritting of teeth? Um, You see this throughout Scripture, Psalms. David, on a couple of occasions, speaks of that. They gnashed their teeth at me as he tried to be God's king and stand for righteousness. The, his enemies gnashed their, their teeth. They, they intended to harm him. It's the terminology used to describe people suffering in hell. They gnashed their teeth out of pain and anger. I think it rage at God. This is what was being directed at Stephen that day. This is a reminder, right? This is a reminder. That in general, this is the response to the gospel. By its own nature, the gospel, God's truth, oftentimes will cause this kind of response. So trying to make Christianity popular, to avoid that kind of response, really the only way to avoid that kind of response is by making Christianity popular and by watering down the truth. That's how we avoid this type of response. So just be reminded, again, we need to be prepared for this. So the crowd responds with rage. Stephen experiences God's presence and declares one last testimony. I love this. Contrast the two. The crowd is full of rage. Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. I love this. In his lowest moment... At this point, when he's being assaulted and attacked, God is with him. He is full of the Holy Spirit. Again, this fulfills the promises that Jesus gave his followers. Listen, he says, you're going to proclaim my truth, and they are going to drag you before rulers, and they are going to hate you, and they are going to persecute you, but I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. In those times, I will give you what you need. I will give you the answers that you need. In our lowest moments, as the world caves in on us, as the world seeks to impose their will and their truth on us, we are not left alone. The Holy Spirit of God that was with Stephen is with us as well. He is available to us as well. God, through His spirit, is present with Stephen. And I love this. Stephen gets it. Stephen gazes up into heaven. He says that right here? Stephen gazes up into heaven. He doesn't look on the crowd with fear. He doesn't look on the crowd and cower. He doesn't see that. He looks into heaven towards his God, right? He knows the psalmist. Fix your eyes to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from God, the maker of heaven and earth. As he's being assaulted Stephen knows where to look for his help and his encouragement and his strength. It's like my kids, right? Like a lot of dads in here, right? You, try to get, you have that moment you're trying to get your kids to jump into a pool, right? Parents, it's usually a dad thing, right? Get them to jump in the pool. And what do you tell them? They're there on the edge. Outside, they get the big muscle floaties on, you know, and, um, and they're kind of standing there. And, and you see it in their eyes, and, and they want to do it, but they can't. And, and usually it's dad, down there going, hey, hey look, look at me, okay? Look, Daddy's got you. Okay, I'm not going to let you fall. I'm not going to let you drop. I'm not going to drop you. I got you. You see him wrestle with it maybe a little bit longer. For me, and I'm sure it's probably true of you, I remember these moments. As my kids jumped, what was the last thing they looked at as they jumped? Daddy. They're looking at me. They're jumping as they look at me because they know Daddy's going to catch them there we go, All right? Stephen's looking at his daddy. I'm going to jump. <laughs> if I'm going down. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I know where my confidence is. I know where my assurance is. And he sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I love that God did this for Stephen. I think there's multiple reasons. Why I think, I think part of the reason why God does this is because Stephen is going to testify to what he saw the people standing around him. So Luke could record it. Some powerful testimony here that affirms Luke's greater purpose with the book of Acts. I think he's also doing this for Stephen. This isn't a common thing, right? I I don't know if God does this to martyrs very often or not, but I I remember though reading um, uh, if, if you've ever read Through Gates of Splendor a story Jim Elliott and those missionaries. If you've read anything that was written after, I had a friend, um, Joe Jordan from Word of Life, and I remember he went down and he's telling us a story that he was standing there on the beach in Ecuador, and he was talking to some of the um, the, the members of that tribe. And he said, they were relating to me how, and he, he said, I, you know they were trying to describe it, and he said, they were relating to me how that when those men died that they actually saw heaven opened up in this, this strange kind of way. And, and Nate Saint would articulate the same thing later in, in, in End of the Spear. Uh, I don't know what those guys saw. But I think it's, it's cool that in that moment God was revealing himself to his servants. And again, I don't, God's probably not, it's not a common thing that we hear about, but, but I think we could take away from this the understanding, the reality that when God's people are suffering, he, he's there ready to receive them. He's there actively involved. The death of his servants is precious to him, right? So he looks into heaven and he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. This whole terminology here, Jesus at the right hand of God, the Son of Man, this, this could be a whole, literally half an hour, an hour long message in and of itself. Because this is so loaded theologically right here. But he looks, he sees Jesus at the right hand of God. This is a common description of Jesus throughout uh, the New Testament. Um, in Acts, it's quotes from Psalm 110. Here's the thing, and this is why this is significant Theologically. This vindicates Jesus and some of his statements he made in his life here on earth, right? In Luke 22, he says, From now on, you see me seated at God's right hands. This is a significant statement about the identity, deity, and role of God. If Jesus is at God's right hand, that's a position of power. If Jesus is there sharing in the glory of God, that's a, that's a statement to his deity. If he's at the right hand of God sharing God's glory... That's a problem for the religious leaders. Once again, you're seeing in Acts, and remember the themes of Acts. Theophilus, I want you to be convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. These guys missed it. Once again, we're being shown you missed who Jesus was. He's at the right hand of God. You crucified him. This is a problem. You crucified him, and he's at God's right hand. You missed this one. You got this one wrong. You made a huge mistake. They're getting another chance, though. Again and again in Acts. You see, God's grace, these people who rejected him, they're being given opportunity to embrace who Jesus is. Some of you sitting here today, you've you've missed it. You've rejected Jesus. You just heard the gospel again this morning. God is still giving you chances to embrace him. Maybe you've missed it and gotten it wrong in the past. You don't have to be set in that, right? I heard Zach uh, Zach at a baseball game the other night. I coached first base for his team, and, and um, we, uh, this kid hit a uh, ball to the, the, the center fielder, and this kid had made a clean play all game long. So I send him. Kid runs first. I send him because the center fielder bobbled the ball a little bit. And he's only really probably about 30 feet behind se- uh, second base. Well, guess what? Guy fields it, picks it up, and makes a laser throw. The kid's out. Mateo was out by eight feet, not even close. Now imagine if I would have gone and started arguing with the umpire. You know, like, you idiot, you missed, I wasn't even close, dude, and you completely missed it, you completely biffed the call, and don't argue about it, you look stupid, <laughs> you missed it, you got it wrong, right, you got a text, Molda was there, of all people, Brian Molda, I got a text in my car when I get home, you actually sent that guy? I'm like, oh my word, you yeah. uh, know, <laughs> here's the thing, I can blow it, right? We can blow it when it comes to Jesus. Completely miss it. And here they're getting another chance. He's at God's right hand. Don't miss it again. This is who he is. This is the declaration Stephen makes here. This is his testimony. The son of man terminology. I wish we had time to unpack this. This is significant. Son of man, that, that, that name is only used three times in the New Testament outside of the Gospels. Two of them are in the book of Revelation where it's using it as like, like a son of man. Um, the only time it's actually directly the name is here in this passage in Acts. The Son of Man. This is, uh, it recalls several things in Scripture. No, number one, it, it recalls the terminology back in Daniel chapter 7. Powerful terminology that the prophet makes about a Son of Man who is coming. And, and it's, it's this, this individual that's, that's going to come in, in, in power and in judgment and bringing salvation. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus, this is his favorite self-designation of himself, the Son of Man. He proclaims the Son of Man will be sitting on the right hand of power, and he's going to come on a cloud which communicates judgment and authority and power. Jesus is alive. He's ruling and working. This terminology is used by Jesus to emphasize his humanity. I love it that that's what's in Stephen's mind. He sees the Son of Man as he's dying, as he's being persecuted here. He understands Jesus' humanity. Son of man is terminology Jesus used in association with suffering. The son of man will suffer. Here's Stephen's suffering. This terminology, the son of man, that name is packed with meaning, power, and understanding. And this is what Stephen sees. This is what he communicates. I think the son of man not only communicates encouragement to, to Stephen as he suffers, but I, I think it encourages and it communicates power and conviction, should be, to the people who are persecuting him. You're rejecting the son of man, the claims. He's deity. He's God. He's God. Right? I love this. The Son of Man, what's his posture at the right hand of God? His standing. That's odd. When Jesus being at the right hand of God is mentioned throughout scriptures, seated, seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. Psalms quoted in Hebrews, seated at the right hand of God. Standing is an unusual description of what Jesus is doing. You think about it, there's a lot been written about this, they've speculated. It, 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 I think it kind of in, captures all of these things. Is he welcoming Stephen? Interceding? Is he coming to Stephen's aid? Is he standing as a witness? Is he vindicating? Is he acting as judge? I, I think it's probably a bit of all of that. We read in Hebrews of this great cloud of witnesses that's there cheering us on in our faith. I think what we see here in Jesus, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way at all, I think you see here Jesus is the lead cheerleader. He's standing as his servant Stephen is, is suffering. He's looking down. I think what he's saying is, Stephen, I see you. I see you in your boldness. I see you in your star. I'm not missing this. I see you who are judging him, who are about to kill him. I see you. Jesus doesn't leave his people alone. He's engaged. I was talking to a friend of mine a while back. He'd coached a lot of years in different sports. And he said to me, he said, you know one thing I've noticed, Craig? He said, you ever watch boys especially? Boys are playing sports. And he goes, oftentimes they make a good play or get a hit. He goes, you know what they do? He said, they turn and look into the, the stands. You know who they're looking for? Dad. He said, I've noticed that over the years. They'll get a hit, they'll get the first base, and they'll turn around, and they'll look for Dad. I'm like, huh, I mean, that was before Zach, really started playing sports, and same thing. Make a play, get a hit. Not, all, not always. But oftentimes they do that, turn around. Oh, why do boys do that? They want to know that dad saw it. They want to know that dad noticed. They want to know that dad's proud. Right? Steven's looking, I think Jesus is standing. Looking down, Stephen's looking at Jesus. He's like, are you watching? He said, I'm watching, man. I'm proud. I'm not leaving you alone. And our suffering as we stand, as we struggle in this world. Jesus is watching. Not just in these times, right? The reality is, most of us aren't going to be required to give our lives for the gospel. But trying to live out our faith at work, at school, being that strong testimony, sometimes we get made fun of or, or alienated. There's that long obedience in the same direction of continuing to be faithful. Maybe it's the, the effort to continue to be a faithful dad or faithful spouse or faithful wife. Maybe it's, it's dealing with that, that tough situation over and over and over again. That, 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 that child that, that maybe you, you brought into your family with some needs that's that just hard. And sometimes you feel like quitting and, and all of these things. And is it is worth I, I teach every Wednesday night and Ignite. <laughs> Are these kids even listening? I'm wasting my time. Or, or this, that, whatever it is. And I think we would get confidence going, man, Jesus is watching He's with me in this. He's looking at me, going, "I see you. I see your work. I haven't left you alone. You're not sitting up there sipping iced tea in this safe environment, at the right hand of God, going, "Man, this is so safe and great. I hope it goes all right down there, everyone. I'll see you in a little while. You're not indifferent. Jesus rises. And watch' that like at the end of a, a, a game? Like baseball, I go, end of a World Series game, two strikes, two outs, you're in the home stadium, that team's about to win a World Series, and that second strike is called. What happens? Generally, the crowd rises, generally, as one. And there's this buzz, and the crowd's looking down. I picture the great cloud of witnesses being led by Jesus as Stephen's about to get stoned, going, hey, guys, look at this moment. Whew, rise, looking down. We keep going. We keep squaring off against the enemy, we keep proclaiming truth because we know Jesus is there engaged with us. He's standing watching this unfold with Stephen. I love that picture. The crowd responds with murder. All right, here's your out of control mob. This is what unfolded next. The statements that he just made about Jesus at God's right hand, whatever level they were ticked off with him at the end of his speech, this statement about Jesus being at the God's right hand put them over the edge. They cry out. They stop their ears. They rush at him. They cast him out of the city, and they stone him. Even after Stephen's declaration of seeing the heavens opened, people still didn't listen. Find some encouragement in this, too, by way of application. How many times do we measure our success on how many people respond? I share my faith. I keep sharing my faith. People aren't responding. And what that ends up doing, oftentimes, it leads us either to quit, or at best, it leads us just to paralysis. Paralysis. Share anymore. They're not responding. They're not quitting. You know, they're not changing their behavior. They're not doing this. They're not doing this, right? And and we have this, we bring this American mindset to our to our discipleship. Stephen was not a failure. He faithfully proclaimed they stop their ears and kill him. Not a failure. That's just the reality of gospel ministry sometimes. I mean, if we're going to apply that metric for that metric, Jesus in some ways could be considered a failure too. I mean, right? All the people he preached to and healed, I mean, he didn't have big numbers. Remember the one time he preaches a sermon and most of the people walk away from him to the point where he just looks at the ones who are left, which seems to be his few disciples, and go, are you guys are going to leave too? <laughs> right? Be careful how we judge success. You're not called to convert people. You're not called to change their heart. You're not a failure if you stand tall and proclaim. The rest of that works up to the Spirit. We learn that here from Stephen. They stop their ears, they cry out, expresses this desire to not hear which, by the way, completely validates everything Stephen had just said about them, right? His indictment of them and his message. You're uncircumcised in your ears. He said that. It means you don't want to listen. You don't want to hear. <laughs> Schnabel, a commentator, writes, People who shout and put their hands over their ears look more like children <laughs> than experienced lawmakers and judges. Right? see kids do this, especially like siblings and they're fighting with each other. Like, ah! you know, not listening to you. leaders of Israel doing this. Now, as we should always do, right, before we get too down on these guys, we got to be honest with ourselves. How many times do I stop my ears? How many times do you stop your ears? God's trying to tell you something, right? I do this. I don't want to hear that. God, I did good in this, 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 and this. Leave this one alone. No. God's saying, hey, I want you to share your faith with that person. You should work on being a better husband to Kathy, being a better father, being more committed, be more of a servant at home. Bring that anger under control. Bring that pornography under control. Bring that alcohol under control. And listen, God's not doing this stuff because he's a jerk. He's not doing this stuff because he's like, I want to make your life worse. He's going, I want to free you. Give these things to me. And we're standing there. The same thing here. God wanted to free these people. Stephen wanted these people to be free. He's giving them truth. And and they're blocking their ears. And and it's so heartbreaking. Again, we do the same thing. God's like, I want to give you freedom. I want to give you life. And we're like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to change? That's how they responded. They stop their ears. They rush at him and cast him out. By a way, Stephen has now seen two different parties come towards him. I think Jesus standing is this movement towards him. He sees this other party coming towards him now. Guess what he cares most about? a party coming towards him, rushing towards him from this, this, out of hatred here on this earth. He's like, okay, whatever. He's seen two parties advance towards him. Jesus in the crowd, he embraces Jesus. He's ready. He's cast out. We talked about this several weeks ago, right? Guys like uh, James Rammer, Reimer, goalie for the San Jose Sharks who comes out and makes a statement about his faith. And in interviews after that, he said, I know, that may cause, I may never be a goalie in the NHL again. So be it. I'll be cast out. Fine. Take my stand. Clayton Kershaw, Christian pitcher at Los Angeles Dodgers the past week or so has made some strong statements about his faith. A little bit harder to kick out a Cy Young Award winner, but, uh, but he knows. Those guys know. Boston Red Sox just released a guy. He made some statements about his faith. These guys know it. You're willing to be cast out. There's no official trial here. This is a lynching. This is mob. They go after him. In fact, we know it's a violation of Roman law to kill someone without a trial, right? We learned that back in Jesus' trial, back in John 8. Remember that? Go judge him according to your law, and they say back to, they're like, we can't. We can't kill him without Pilate. That's why he had to be tried by Pilate. Pilate had to be the one to issue that degree to, uh, to, to, to murder him. This is a mob. They lynch him. They stone him. I forgot to grab it. I was going to grab a stone here. Throw it at somebody. No, 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 Man, this is a violent way to die. Going back to that mob scene, the amount of hatred and determination it takes to kill someone by stoning is incredible. It's hard work. It went on for a long time and it takes a lot of effort. This is why we see here these guys taking off their jackets, their outer garments, and putting them at the foot of Saul, which we'll get to him soon enough here, right? I mean, they're doing that; they're loosening up, right? John, I'm not going to show up to the softball game Thursday night in a coat and tie and try to hit, right? right? You can't hit that. Oh, I want to hit. I want to be able to I'm gonna take that coat off and take that tie off and wear something lightweight. So that, that's what these guys are doing. They're getting ready for a beating. It's murderous, throwing rocks at someone until they die. One commentator said it this way, stoning somebody to death, especially someone as young and healthy as Stephen, is not easy. You don't get the job done with just the first few rocks and broken bottles. And even after you get the man down, it's a long, hot business. To prepare themselves for the workout, they stripped to the waist and got someone to keep an eye on their thing so they were through. By the way, the man they got was a fire-breathing, young, arch-conservative Jew named Saul, who was there because he thoroughly approved of what they were doing. This takes a lot of hatred and determination to kill someone by stoning. But that's what they did to Stephen. This is kind of cool. As you read on, and we'll get to this next week, but as the stoning goes on, the sense of the verbs that it's going on for a while. Stephen falls on his knees and prays for forgiveness for those who are killing him. I was struck by that terminology, he fell to his knees. If he's falling to his knees, what does that imply of his posture while he's being stoned? It's got to be that he was standing up. I don't know. You don't fall to your knees if you're already on them. You don't fall to your knees if you're cowering on the ground. It almost seems as if what's being communicated here is that Stephen just stood tall. He didn't cower. He's taking the rock, taking the other rock. He's looking into heaven as he's taking them. He's saying, God, God, I commend my spirit to you. Taking another one, taking another one, taking another one. That's crying for mercy. Taking one after the other, after the other, after the other. The point where he ends up saying, Father, forgive them for what they're doing. Takes another one, takes another one. Falls on his knees and offers that prayer of forgiveness on their behalf. Am I willing to take some hits for Jesus? Stand. Stand tall. Take those hits. Take those shots. Listen, I don't want to have that bravado of Peter. It's easy for me to stand there now, right? Because I'll, be like, oh yeah, I'd die for you, Jesus. I, I think I would. But I also gotta say, I, mean, I could be like Peter too, and he ran. Listen, the only way that I do this isn't gonna be found on my own strength. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirits. Spirit-empowered man who lived his life with reckless abandon for the gospel. I gotta let the Spirit infuse my life, empower me, strengthen me, inform me. That's what'll cause me to stand. And here's the thing, too, and was time to come up and close us in a song right? It's easy maybe for us to stand here today too and say, oh yeah, I would die for Jesus. It just seems so abstract, so beyond the realm of possibility. It's easy maybe for us to say, um, but I heard it said before, sometimes it's easier to say I'll die for Jesus than it is to actually say I'll live for him day by day in a self-sacrificing way. So let's not even think about martyrdom right now, because that's probably not going to be the destiny of most of us. But let's think about the everyday things. My will to sacrifice. Give them myself. Put it on the line for Jesus day after day after day after day. One songwriter put it this way it's easy to find someone who's willing to die, but it's not easy to find someone who's willing to live. So I want to have that attitude of Stephen in my everyday life, willing to sacrifice for Jesus for the cause. Amen.